VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, I'm joined by the excellent James Ducker, who took time out of his busy schedule to be with us and you. I'm also joined by Rory Smith and Alison Rudd, who were both gesturing when earlier when I said thank you for joining us, James. Unfortunately, your presence, while very appreciated, is something less of a novelty. Coming up, we'll be talking Palace, we'll be talking Liverpool, and we'll have the usual quick hits. But first, let's head to the Emirates. And now United could break. Fellaini picks out Di Maria. He's got Rooney inside. And here is Wayne Rooney. He can finish it here. And he does! Louis van Gaal's first away victory. And they are back in the top four. You know, sometimes we get focused on results, and the results are important because that's how we keep score. But if I'm Wenger, do you, do you think after this game, I, I go home, I, I watch the video, I give my, do my analysis, and I say, you know what? We really should have been 3-0, 4-0 up. We totally outplayed them, and they're not particularly good. I'm going to get all this criticism, and it's not fair. Uh, no, I don't agree with that in this case. I think there are certainly some games, some teams some performances where that, that argument is valid, um, Gab. I think it's different in this case. I think Arsenal's record against United, against Chelsea, against City in, in the big games is so lamentable now that you can't argue there's another hard luck story. That United team, with that defence, with that number of injuries, should have been there for the taking. And they were very, very poor in the first half hour. And... Um, uh, and Arsenal missed some excellent chances, not least through Jack Wilshere. I think the, I think it's something like four wins in the last 27 in all competitions. Those are results, results, not performances. It's similar against Chelsea. They just continually fall short in the big games, and and they just they just look way off it. If you're not if you are not going to beat that United team at home in that state, then you know I, I think it's quite a wor- worrying um, worrying time for them. I think what, what that game showed is that neither Arsenal nor Manchester United are particularly fine ambassadors for the elite of the Premier League at the moment. It was, a, it was an advert for decline for both of them. Yeah, that's a really good point because on Sunday I watched the Milan derby, obviously, and you know, and the usual people who've only just discovered now in the last week that uh, Serie A and particularly these two teams are not particularly good. I was like, oh, look, you know, look look at these rubbish lineups, look at these rubbish players, you know, decline. Oh, why the sudden decline in Serie A? I'm like, you know. But did you get this sense of impending doom, Ducker, that, 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 <laughs> that two of the, well, in fact, there's a broader thing, actually, because of the, I guess, the traditional sort of top seven who always finish in the top eight in English football, um, they all pretty much stink this year, with the exception of Chelsea and 
to some degree City. I, is there a sense of rebuilding at United or of, of, of tiny baby steps? Uh, absolutely, Gav. I, I think it doesn't really sort of shock me that where United are at the moment. If you actually look at the, the sort of last two seasons uh, under, under Ferguson, maybe even the last three, but certainly the last two, there were clear sort of signs of decline and the need to sort of uh, rebuild and, and improve that that team and squad. There were there were a lot of issues there. The, the football was very functional for a lot of time, and they obviously retained that sort of remarkable sort of power to carve out result and and recover from going behind again, you know, under Ferguson. But there was a lot of disappointing performances, and then that obviously really sort of hit home last season. I don't think anyone envisaged them being quite so bad. But I, I, it's not a sudden. This is not something that's just happened in the last twelve months. They have been, they have been on, on decline for, 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 for you know a while, or, or rather, a lot of Ferguson signings and a lot of subsequent signings didn't come off. I mean, they looked at you know defensively at Jones, at Smalling, at Evans as the future. That hasn't worked out. There's a lot of players that were signed that have either no longer at the club or out on loan or just haven't worked out. So. It is going to be sort of. I think it is going to be a bit of a, a gradual process for them. I think with Arsenal, it's a little bit less. Uh, I think it, the sort of the rot there has been a lot longer, and I think it's less defensible because they the, they've had one 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 guy in charge. They couldn't sort of you know argue that there's been lots of change. I just think that they've got much more deeper issues really I, do, I, I kind of agree with James but I, I don't think there's a rot at Arsenal I don't think Arsenal are moving backwards that's what rot implies that you're kind of you're, you're regressing. regressing Liverpool are regressing that's, that's very obvious I don't think Arsenal are regressing I think they're just standing still that's all Wenger's done for the last four or five years is just right. they, <laughs> they are exactly the same team now as they were three, four, five years ago. They're not quite as good as they were ten years ago, obviously. And the problem with that is that football has moved on. You see it most clearly in the Champions League, where Arsenal get to, as soon as they play anyone half decent, they're out of their depth. We saw that against Dortmund. In the Premier League, they kind, of, they kind of do okay because the Premier League is also regressing a little bit. They kind of maintain that third or fourth place. But in terms of coming up against anyone with even an, an, an iota of nous about them, Arsenal don't have it because the, the smaller teams have worked them out. You've seen it time and time and time again. So you don't see a change in the way Arsenal are playing? I mean, having Welbeck up front uh, or, or Giroud indeed and compared to the, the Van Persie years, that's not, you don't see that as a change? Having Alexis Sanchez, the, you don't see that as different? There are slight tweaks to the you, style. Really? You think it's just a slight tweak? I, don't th- I think obviously if you play Giroud or you play Welbeck as, you, as your number nine, I think they, that lends itself to different things. No, I mean relative to, fa- to, to Van Persie and what they did before. Well, that, yeah, in terms of yeah, there is a right. difference in the in the in the. I suppose the structure of their play is different, but I think the overall kind of philosophy of it is exactly the same. The, I don't think the quality of the side is markedly better now than it was three or four years when ago. You go, and, when yeah. you go to the Emirates, it's the only place, and this is journalist speaking. I'm not I'm not speaking for for the fans, and I couldn't. But it's the it's the one place where a group of reporters are together. And every time I'm there, somebody says, and sometimes it's me, but somebody, more than one person will say, I've been watching this match for the past six years. <laughs> and oh w- whatever happens at the Emirates always feels incredibly familiar. And when you were speaking earlier about how stupid some people can be when they ask questions, I thought you were going to ask me about the deja vu one, which is when a journalist asked Wenger if he understood what deja vu meant, which is slightly <laughs> You're ironic. joking. No, I'm not joking. Oh, name and shame, name and shame. What kind of... I, I, I couldn't. For a long time, I adopted the very cynical view that because Silent Stan was in charge and 
He cares about the bottom line in full stadiums and a competitive team. And Fenger delivered that. And he delivered it on a shoestring, right? They, they had that flat net spend, or it was a positive net spend. The last two years, they have spent some, uh, some very, very serious money. I'm wondering, does there come a point when Kroenke says, yo, Ivan, what's up with this guy here? Uh, not that Kroenke talks like that, I presume. Um, It'd be amazing if he did. <laughs> it would be kind of cool. <laughs> and says, yo, yo Ivan. <laughs> yo, this is all fine. The top four finishes, blah, 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 being wussy against big teams. Hey, you got to live with that because, you know, we made massive profits. But now this guy's making us spend all this money and, you know, on Ötzel and, and, and Sanchez and Chambers and whatever else. And we're worse than before. What's up with that? Is it time to make a change? The impression I've always got with Arsenal is that there's no... And there's, there's journalists out there who are better qualified than me to talk about it. But Okay, so let's go straight to Alison. <laughs> no, just kidding. But there, there is no club in the world that is constructed in one man's image quite like mm-hmm. Arsenal. That Wenger has complete control. There are executives at Arsenal who refer to him as the boss. Which is obviously, you know, not Ivan. Not Ivan. They refer. Wenger is the person who signs off everything to do with Arsenal. I think there is a, a possibility that at some point they'd probably have to miss out on the top four. That at some point Kroenke and, and Gazidis might look at it and think this is we are not getting to where we need to be. Uh, but I think more likely, if, if I had to put money on it one way or the other, it would be that Wenger will go when he wants to go. Well, and you, I could, you could argue that the reason that that this season is is creaking more than previous ones although in a similar way is that Wenger is, as has had to change and that it doesn't sit well with him so he's not convincing whenever he's doing the team talk or whatever that he's, he's had his arm twisted slightly and he's spending money he doesn't feel comfortable spending and so the team he puts out he feels has to demonstrate that he's making progress that he is willing to change but it's not particularly something he wants right. to do this time, this time last year Arsenal were top of the table I have a, a Wenger-loving acquaintance who says, you know what, put Koscielny in there and we would be where City are. Is, he, is he this guy, is this person insane? Is not, he French? Not, is he both? It could be, it could be all, of, all of the above. I don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. But the yes, to an extent, if, I'm sure if Koscielny and Mertesacker were, were playing together regularly, that they might be a bit better. It's not Mertesacker, you just need Koscielny. But you can put Koscielny next to Monreal. Because Mertesacker and Monreal is just a really badly assorted partnership. Injuries. It's not his fault. And Chambers would have played in the middle if the stupid Debussy hadn't got himself injured either. We, uh, as well. We, I'm sure we'll come to this with Liverpool. Having one, two, or three or whatever players injured at one of those top six clubs is not an excuse. It isn't an excuse. Um... When you had that, that Wilshire Fellaini incident, it looked to me like something I really, really hate, which is the little guy getting into the face of the big guy, knowing that the big guy, especially when the big guy is this sort of, you know, scary type guy like Fellaini, that you know you're going to get away with it because you know that Fellaini's not going to do anything. Or if he does, he'll be the one who's sent off. It just, I, I, I'm not suggesting Wilshire's a dirty guy like that. But that's how it struck me. Really? Co- I'm surprised. I felt the red mist had descended, and I don't think Wilshire calculated how tall Fellaini was. I think he probably, if anything, felt slightly embarrassed. Why would Wilshire, Wilshire not go pick on somebody his own size? He was cross. He was cross with Fellaini. Okay, but surely he realizes Fellaini can turn him into a little puddle of oil whenever he wants to. Yeah, I think for that for that very reason, as Ellison says, Gav, it was a it was a, a red red mist job, and he momentarily. Um, 
lost his temper. I don't think. I think. I don't think if he had thought about thought about it, he thought right. I'm going to get. I'm going to go and target Fellaini because I'll get away with it. I mean, he shouldn't have got away with it. And most referees, you would think, would look at it and not really apply size as a, a measure of whether the player should be sent off or not. I was just going to say that if you actually watch it, it does look like Fellaini's trying to eat Jack Wilshire initially. Seriously, <laughs> he looks like something out of those like fables written to to, to, to scare children. Um, and if we're going to start applying size when we interpret what happens on the pitch, then women may as well join in because that's usually the excuse. For well, women don't normally play game. against men. With Wilshire, there's no question that he escaped trouble partly because Fellaini's head was out of reach. No question about that. Because he's too little. He he, because he'd he have to jump. If, if they'd been roughly the same size, he would have effectively headbutted Fellaini and he'd have been sent off. No. Yes. Anybody want to praise Fellaini for not making a meal of it, not goading Wilshire? Then he, it was that same thing like you, you got in Scooby-Doo when Scrappy-Doo kind of has a go at someone. <laughs> right. It's more that the villain is just, is just baffled by things. Wilshire's tackling is terrible. Wilshire does This is becoming a Jack Wilshire don't, don't, thing. Don't say he doesn't know how to tackle. He, I think he probably does know how to tackle. He's just not very, very good at it. And he, it, it, put, it, not, it not only puts him at risk of, of bookings and red cards, it actually puts him at risk of injury. And there is that really? It, you think he might be injury prone? No, but I think he's, <laughs> he's obviously injury prone. But I think partly he's injury prone because he puts, him, puts himself into stupid situations yeah. with bad tackles. Benefit of hindsight, would they have been better off playing Flamini in this game or, or, or maybe starting Casorla and, and, and moving... Oxide Chamberlain. This, this, is I've, I've, this, is, this, is, this is getting a bit Groundhog Day because every time Arsenal lose or it's don't Wilshire's perform well, it's, it's because he's got Arteta there trying to be all things to all men. But it's, are you going to blame Arteta? No, wait, I just don't think he. I just think he's got what it takes to be there as that sort of fulcrum. You know, it's providing leadership, screening a, a weak defence because they're inj- they've got so many injuries, setting play in motion. He can't. He can do little bits of those well. things, but he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the gravitas to hold it together. Yerenak standing over this. Five in the wall. Oh, he could have had 25 in the wall. They wouldn't have stopped that. It's a brilliant goal from Yerenak. A quite stunning free kick. Two goals in three minutes for Crystal Palace. And they lead Liverpool by three goals to one. Tucker, I'm going to start with you because you're not a Liverpool supporter in any way, shape or form. In fact, you hate Liverpool. And you have no appreciation for Liverpool. They go a goal up, away from home. It's Palace. And you figure, perfect. They can play on the counter. Unleash Sterling and Lalana. Everything's going to be just fine, right? Well, you would think so. They had that chance, though, didn't they? Good work, actually, by Coutinho and Sterling. And teed up Manquito, you know, And he really screwed a quite awful shot, horribly wide, at the sort of left-hand post. That was a big moment in the game. But I don't really know why anyone is too surprised at what's happening at Liverpool this season. They, they conceded 50 goals in 38 games last season. You know, they, they couldn't defend last season and, and it's exactly the same this time around. No, because they have different uh, players now and, and yeah, presumably well, Brendan Rodgers has learned some lessons from last year, no? I mean, th- that's why well, I'm a bit no, surprised that they keep I losing. Think, I mean, I don't, really, I don't really see... I don't really see... I mean, the, the players that they brought in just aren't really don't represent huge sort of improvements uh, I think on on what they already had from a sort of defensive perspective uh, I think Lovren's obviously been a bit, has been a disappointment I think people expected he'd be better but I, I look at Liverpool 
and uh, a little bit like Man- Manchester City really under Pellegrini and you sort of wonder what are they doing on the training pitch each week from a defensive point of view both in terms of organising the back line and collectively as a unit You, w- I watch Liverpool and I don't really see any even marginal, marginal sort of signs of improvement in right. the way that they're approaching games defensively I, I'm not surprised that they've, dropped, they've gone backwards from last season I'm surprised at the extent of it I don't think anyone should be surprised by Dejan Lovren not being that good if you watched him play at all before last season. Because Leon spent three years hunting him around Europe, trying to find someone to take him. And with all respect to Southampton, there was a reason that it was a club like Southampton that he went to. He had an excellent season last season. This season's Lovren is the Dejan Lovren that existed at Leon. This is just Dejan Lovren. The fact that Liverpool... Well, he, would... n- he never quite made the grade at, at Leon, but there's a reason why they were so excited for him because he's a guy who's big, who's mobile, who's so skillful on the ball, and he's got an edge to him. And because he's Croatian, so he's some kind of Ustasha warrior. Bottom line, though, is that... Yeah, you're right. He didn't live up to it necessarily no. at Leon. And they and spent ages trying to punt him around Europe for yeah. much less than 20 million quid. But the problem... <laughs> With the defence at Liverpool, and I think this is, it's been an expensive experiment to find it out, the problem is not the personnel. The problem is the manager. The, well, whether, well, yeah, ultimately the responsibility has to lie with the manager. The problem is the fact that they are, it is a structural issue on how they defend. That is what's become clear. Okay, but Because the, the defenders individually, whether it's, whether it's Sturtle, whether it's Agger, whether it's Sacco, whether it's... Um, obviously, Adler's left, I realise that. The defenders that they have had are not terrible defenders. Lovren's not great, but he's not terrible. He's an okay defender. Sturtle's an okay defender. Sacco is a, is a, a decent defender. Agu was a good defender. The problem is that they are massively overexposed. There is a structural issue <laughs> with how exposed that central defence becomes, which ultimately has to lie with the manager. You sound like Stuart Robson talking about Arsenal's uh, lack of defensive structure. But I it's probably similar. It's from, probably yeah. similar. Well, okay. Is it, uh, is it any it, worse uh, from last season, though, though Rory? I mean, I, no, I it's think not, mate. It's it not. so good going forward last season that it, that it masked a lot of the terrible sort of defensive... Right. No, it did not, absolutely. I don't but think they're that much worse defensively than last season. They're not worse. People turn a blind eye to it. Then, the goals, obviously, from Suarez and Sturridge kind of... Kind of hid it, you're quite right. They're not worse than last season. They're not worse than the season before that because they were terrible then as well at defending. What surprises me about Rodgers is that I don't remember Swansea being defensive. I was just going to say that. So what's happened? I, was it the, I mean, maybe Alison, was it the fact that at Swansea they, they tried to have like massive long stretches of, of possession and they had all these sort of little guys further back and the full backs maybe didn't quite attack as much as as they do well, here. Well, no, I think Swansea, I well, Swansea knew what they were. It, it was almost success via repetition. When he was there, probably if you wanted to say who will be the most predictable team, it would have been Swansea in terms of who was picked and the type of um, football they played. And one of the reasons I was disappointed when Rodgers was initially appointed Liverpool manager was that I was a little underwhelmed by that approach at Swansea. It did, it did, it did raise them to a level of success that few people expected. But the fact that it was never different, and and Rogers would be proud well, of the fact they, well, Swansea might lose three or four nil, and he would say, "I'm very proud okay. of what happened but there because we didn't sacrifice our principles." Over the course of a season, he probably got it right in terms of what is expected at Swansea, in that they can absorb regular-ish defeats as, and say, oh, look at us, we're abiding by our principles. But if you, it, that always helps the defence if you always play the same way and they know exactly what to expect. But Alison, 
at Liverpool, he has changed it around. So are you suggesting that maybe that is part of the problem? Is that? It, he, it, but when he changes, he doesn't know how to change effectively. I mean, that, that is the he, greatest thing. That is the biggest challenge he, of any manager, well, isn't it? Well, what struck me when things happen to you, whether it's injuries or transfer market or some other thing that you need to absorb whether you can do that successfully. He does, he's not the calibre of coach okay, to do that. You're, you're going to Palace away. You were sort of traumatised there last year. You're playing a Neil Warnock team. You sort of know what you're going to get in terms of, in terms of effort. Players like Shamak. Titi Taka. <laughs> exactly. And you're going I, to have, I, 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 I just take issue with that, though. You say you're playing a Neil Warnock team. There wasn't a lot of difference between the way Palace played against Liverpool this weekend and the way they played against Liverpool last season under Tony Pulis. There, it isn't. That, it isn't just Warnock effect. That's that level of energy. Okay, giving, no, no, no. Giving, that, that, that's giving time not, and not, space sorry, to your pacey players. Let me finish. So you don't. You don't know what I, what I was going to say. I mean, you said I, it was I'm, a Warnock thing. No, I said you're playing a Warnock team, so you're you're going to get a certain level of effort and intensity at home, uh, in the same way that they did when 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 when, when they played Pulis. Uh, Pulis's so it's a Palace, palace thing. Year. It's not a Warnock thing. Well, no, because I'd argue that when Ollie was there, they probably would have faced a different type of Palace. But my point is. You're playing the you, you, you're playing the side where there's a number of hardworking players, where you've got these these two bearded gods in in, in front of the back four and in, in, in Ledley and and, and Yedinak. so you either try to match them physically for intensity, or you've got little quick guys who can go and play around them. I kind of thought that, but I, I, I this Gerard. Joe Allen thing, well, especially when you have Coutinho in in there too as part of the front four. It's just a, just a needless gamble away from home. Why can't you just go for a little more solidity and say, you know what, I have enough faith in Lalana and Lambert and Sterling that those guys, and just wait for those guys to do something, and give yourself that that, that modicum of cover, or or play Emery Chan. I, that's what I don't, I, I didn't understand. That's what I would have asked Rogers if uh, if he'd been around. Am I wrong here? No, no, he's he's he's, he's putting too much of a burden on Steven Gerrard for a start. That is quite evident. I don't think I think I don't think Gerard has form has slipped to the great extent that everyone's saying that suddenly he's a poor player. People decline as they get older, of course they do. But the fact that that Gerard's performances seem to be sliding visibly and noticeably is is because he's being asked to do too much. When you have a great player like that, you protect them. You don't say, oh, you go out and just solve it all. I want to I talk some, some, some palace here. Neil Warnock divides opinion a little bit. Uh, you're one of the few people who like him, Alison. He's always been very nice to me. I don't have an issue with him whatsoever. He's surpassing expectations, isn't he? Well, not, well, not really. I mean, they're, 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 they're still probably a team in danger of relegation. <laughs> Aren't they? I mean, but they're playing nicer football, and he's got and he's got all these weirdos who like some of them. Pulis sign and then Pulis leaves, and it's a zoo and whatever. Yeah, no, he, in that sense, no, you're right. In that sense, he is because I think there was there was a sense of oh. That's As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Not going to work, is it? Because Pulis did such an amazing job. But the, the reason Pulis did an amazing job was that he was starting from a really low base and they were a mess and no one expected them to, to, to finish mid-table. So that, that was great. But then he's, that's his legacy to Warnock. He left him something there. And that's why I said earlier about it's a Palace team, not a Warnock team. But, you know, a good manager is one that can acknowledge what he's been given and try and exploit that for the next season. And I, I like his bravery. And he's, I think his attributes are, as a manager are that he has enthusiasm and he likes young players and he seems to give them a confidence to have a bit of fun and express themselves. He doesn't get overly upset about organisation and he can absorb the odd defeat and, and make it sound like it's a plus point. There's a buoyancy to the team, given that he's sort of considered past it by a lot of people. And you mentioned, oh, I like him, some people don't like him. There was a Women in Football event at Wembley yesterday and uh, a female physio, who was one of the first female physios at a Premier League club, said she owed, Eva, owed it obviously, all. Not Eva, obviously, because if it was Eva, you would tell us. Eva's uh, a doctor too. No, no, Eva's a doctor. This is a physio. They're different professions. Oh. This is a female physio I'm talking about. And she said she owed her progress to Neil Warnock, who was the only person who shouted up, I want, you know, she's the best. I want her to get the job. So he's a nice guy. And he's an so expert in physiotherapy too. win since he took over. Second league win. Let's not get too carried no, exactly. away. No, exactly. Yeah, they're still, they're still relegation candidates. But in terms of what people expected I think Palace people expected Palace to be sort of depressed and post Pulis dumps and it's not been quite like that final word on Mila Jednak because I, I have this this weird fetishistic fascination with the guy he's starting he started under Ali he starts under under Pulis he's starting now he has very obvious limitations in certain departments what? I think he's brilliant what are his limitations? he's incredibly slow <sighs> not really no he's ridiculously slow <sighs> For a central midfielder in the Premier League? No, I've never watched him and thought, ooh, that was a bit slow. Okay, I, I think he's slow and he's clunky, but he's a good passer and he's really, really intelligent. I, I, I just sometimes wonder whether 
a guy like that isn't more useful to a team than somebody who's much more of an all-rounder. He's the, he's the rock of Palace. Pulis said, I could not have hauled them out of relegation without Yedinak. But that's what I'm saying. I'm appreciating him. Good point. I think if he's got fast, quick thinking, you know, quick players around someone like Yadinak, then that's where he will come to his fore. I think I I agree with you. He's so slow. You you think he's almost immobile, but he's a very clever, intelligent player, and it it takes up excellent positions. And and like you say, he's got very good delivery as well. And I think with the sort of players that they have there at Palace, sort of buzzing around and spinning off him. You know, it sort of plays to his strengths. Can old Gerard sort of be more Yedinaki and be useful to Liverpool, which is what I was getting at? I mean, obviously with his athleticism, There's a bit of Michael Wayne. Carrick there, but a, but a sort of a tougher version, cooler yeah. version too. I mean, Yedinaki just looks cooler than Michael Carrick. Can Gerard be more Yedinaki? Or no, should he at this stage? Kind of. Gerard is more likely to be Mila Yedinaki than he is to be Andrea Pirlo. Can't argue with that. Time now for our debate this week. For those of you unfamiliar, here's a very brief recap. Malky Mackay was a manager at Cardiff. His owner, Vincent Tan, eventually didn't like him for a number of reasons. One of the reasons um, was the fact the team wasn't very good. Another part of the big part of the reason. Another reason there were some questions about uh, some of the transfer dealings made by Ian Moody, and uh, uh, who was um, Mackay's, I guess, de facto director of football. And then later, in August, we were leaked the contents of text, uh, the contents of text and email messages between Moody and Mackay, many of them containing what some retrograde people might consider banter, but I at least consider offensive statements that, that were sexist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, uh, racist. The uh, FA opens uh, uh, an investigation in him, and because the FA moves at a glacial pace and lives in fear of lawyers, and we still don't have a resolution on on Mackay. He may or may not face sanction. Whelan appoints him to manage Wigan, replacing the lovable German, uh, one of the few lovable Germans, uh, Uwe Rosler. uh, And there's outcry, there's controversy, there's sponsors leaving Wigan, and there's Whelan not helping himself by making some rather silly statements, which I'm sure we'll get to on the media. Alison, is that pretty much a fair summary of the situation? Your summary is always very fair, Thank Gav. you. But I, let me go first. No, because hang on, hang on. I need really? to, I need that to was t- quite a big preamble. I need to explain. It's time for someone else to speak. No, I need to explain why you get to go first. You get to go first because you're perhaps the most authoritative voice in the media to have defended or shown some sort of sympathy for Malky Mackay. You're shaking your head. Who more authoritative than you has stood up for Mackay, which you did in your uh, in your column on Friday, I think it was. Uh, I don't know when it was. But yeah, I did. I did. No, well, this is, this is, this is, right. That's all, that's the, the debate I here. wrote my column before Dave Whelan tried to dissect Help. the emails and texts. And my point was that I was not that surprised that Dave Whelan, when he received his application from Mackay, thought, ah, he's a man who has uh, been humiliated publicly, has had to accept that he needs to be re-educated, and he still wants a job in football. I think he deserves a second chance, and I like his bravery. And in some way, in some strange way, the fact that Mackay had been through this public scrutiny and had made such public errors made him a more for want of a word, an attractive manager to Whelan. It it showed some character, a strength of character. And Whelan, instead of thinking, oh, this is a negative, I don't know if I want to appoint Mackay because of all this, he thought, no, I like this about him because he's he's showing, he's held his hands up and he said, I did wrong and I want to change and I want to work in football. And Whelan thought, thought, yes, I'm going to give him that chance. 
And I believe people deserve a second chance. And I also made the point that being given this public platform at Wigan and having the backing of an avuncular-style manager can only be for the good in the sense that it makes people realise who might not otherwise know that when they do send out texts and emails on work phones and tablets and so on, they really have to think about what they're doing and what you know how they would feel if people knew what they were saying. It's progress. It's progress. It, it highlights an issue about the way, how we, what we refer to as banter isn't really banter, it's offensive and so on. And then a few hours later, Whelan made the gross error of judgment. Instead of just saying, I've appointed a man who made some unacceptable comments in emails and they were unacceptable and then moved on. He tried, for reasons I just cannot comprehend, he tried to explain that the emails in themselves were not that offensive. Well, which was, which the, 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 that, that to me two was different, the, the Two big, different issues here. Let's analyze. Maybe, but that was the biggest no, no. gross we'll, error we'll get to that. in the whole We'll get to Whelan's handling of the situation, but it, let's try to get this into some kind of order because I think we need to start with Mackay and, and, and what you said. I mean, Alison was impressed with the fact that Mackay is looking for another for, for another job in football. Of course, he, he uh, applied for the Crystal Palace uh, job as well, which is when these... Uh, nasty texts and emails were leaked. That's a whole other thing. There's obviously a lot of nastiness going on, I think, from the other side, and Mackay has a right to be aggrieved about that. Do you buy this, that this shows some strength of character? Because if I were cynical, Rory, I might say, what, a, what the hell else is Malky Mackay going to do with his life at this stage? What, go be a bouncer outside a, outside a club? Or, or I'm not what? saying I was impressed. I'm saying I acknowledged that Whelan was No, no, but, but, but Whelan being impressed. I mean, I think Mackay in the media right now is not going to happen, and this is what ex-players do, right? They either coach or they go in the media. Uh, unless, of course, you're the guy from uh, um, from Manchester City, and then you, who's really intelligent, so you make a, you become a billionaire, or a millionaire. Anyway. Who's that? The guy who was known for, for first dives. The guy who got into a fight with Bite Your Legs. Former chairman of Manchester City. Oh, Franny Lee. Franny Lee, there you go. So, Mackay, you could say it's strength of character. You could say it's, it's a, fa- a failure to accept that he's done nothing wrong. It, it looks like it could be either. So I think Nick Cohen wrote a piece in The Observer, or, or, or someone someone like that, someone who I respect, saying that, that there's a problem at the moment that, that if you not stick up for someone who's done something wrong, whether that is, in Mackay's case, send horribly bigoted emails, um, or in Chad Evans's case, rape somebody, that if you, if you take a point of view that isn't outright condemnation of them, that you are tarred with the same brush as their crime. So, or crime in Evans's case, I mean, it's, it's not a crime in Mackay's case, I guess, but... Well, also, sort of Evans, can I, can I just point out, Evans was convicted. Mackay has yet to have his day in, in court or in, you know, the court of the FA Yeah, but he's accepted, he's accepted that he sent the emails and the texts. He's not denied that. There's no kind of, this, is, this wasn't me. He's accepted that and he's apologised for it. He's going to... And said he needs re-education. Yeah, I mean, re- re-education is a word I'm very, very uncomfortable with, I've got to say. Mackay sent grossly offensive texts and emails, no question about that, as did Ian Moody. He has apologised for it, he has accepted that he, that he needs to, to change, essentially, as a, change the way he thinks, he needs to be kind of, I don't know what the word, yeah, re-educated, but that is such a sort of nasty, fascistic Rehabilitated. Word. Rehabilitated. To an extent, there is nothing more he can do. There's lots of people out there who have views that are abhorrent and that most people hopefully disagree with. Matai's kind of done what he has to do to, to say, right, I did, th- I, I, did this, I did this thing, it was a mistake, I'm trying to make up for it. He has a right to work. There's no, there's no question. You can't apply the same, e- the Evans logic, that you can't even make the case with Matai that he doesn't have a right to work. 
he has got a right to work. He's he's made a mistake and he's he's trying to apologise for it. There is a, a limit to what else he can do. But then if you, the problem is that if you say that, which I did, which which you did and I now have, that all you get uh-huh. is is loads of people saying, "Oh, you're condoning a racist," and "Oh, you you know you don't take it seriously," and you're part of the problem. And it's for want of a better word, that is bollocks. Yeah. So the Aryan-looking woman and the man from Yorkshire condone uh, condone this kind of banter. No, not, I, not at all. I don't. I don't no, condone I'm joking. I'm any I'm kind of banter. No. I think the word banter <laughs> itself should be banned. Um, but I, what, I, what I also don't condone is this kind of un, unless you possess perfectly kind of formed liberal principles that you have to be a pariah. That 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 is not the way that a society no, I, can work. If he has apologized and he's shown so much contrition and he's accepted this, why the hell is this, is, is this, this, this investigation stretching on ad infinitum? I mean, seriously, w- what's there to look at? You don't have different testimony. You have a bunch of texts. You have, the, you have, the, you have the, 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 these, these two Burks. You bring them in. You talk to Moody. You talk to Mackay. And you decide what, an appropri- what appropriate measures are. Um, I'm told there's all sorts of stuff with lawyers and compensation and money and tan and whatever behind this. But... That's why I wonder to what degree he actually is admitting responsibility in a legal case. Otherwise, I, did, I, I, was, I have no idea why it's taking this independent panel so long. Um, no, neither do I. But well, he it's did, probably, he probably because they're not even sure of their remit on this. Because, for example, the, the, game Rio, the, Rio Fer, the Rio Ferdinand tweet, which was dealt with very quickly, I think. That's a tweet into the public domain. It's one word. It's public domain. He's a player he's under their jurisdiction and you can come to a conclusion very quickly but the Mackay tweets and emails are they public are they private it it, it they're not the F8 have already said in one of their in, I think when they dealt with Scudamore they made the distinction between public and private and then um, uh, uh, someone in football has the right to be able to write to someone else and it not be Sanct- you know, the sh- right. you know what? And, and they created this strange that, precedent. No, I that, think. that's fine. But then what you do is you sit down, you use common sense, right? First of all, the FA applies sporting justice, right? They're, they're, they're not. This isn't the law of the land. Doesn't mean they can make up the rules as they go along, but it does mean they can be reasonable. The FA have an interest in resolving this in a way that's seen by everybody to be fair. Mackay and presumably Moody too have an interest in resolving this. What you do is you lock the FA lawyers into in a room with Mackay and Moody's lawyers. They go and charge your clients millions because that's what lawyers do, and you come up with a solution that everybody that everybody's happy with. But just just on Mackay, so ignore the fact that Whelan made those ridiculous comments. The reaction to Mackay's appointment as Wigan manager was, this is appalling, this man should not be allowed to work. That was the reaction from the media. I'm, on the FA, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how any of this is the FA's jurisdiction, to be perfectly honest. What, what on earth... Should, I mean, the Rio Fernand thing is obviously much, much funnier. But how on earth is calling someone a shit on Twitter, sort of, me, how does that merit a ban from football? It's complete bollocks. No, if, you, it, it, if you got done for drink driving, the FA wouldn't ban you for three games, would they? Are they now in charge of every aspect of a footballer's life? If a footballer has an affair, do the FA say, no. well, actually, well, that doesn't fit in with our... Uh... Well, we know the answer to that, uh, sadly. Right, time now for some quick hits. Uh, Ducker, since it's your first time with us uh, this season doing quick hits, Dave McGuire, our producer, has demanded that we make some changes. Your answer must be contained in 20 seconds. After 20 seconds, you will hear this sound effect. And after 25 seconds, you will hear this sound effect. And then I will start shouting. 
And maybe Rory will start shouting too, and possibly Allison as well. Right, Tottenham win at Hull, but Stevie Bruce is angry at the sending off of Gaston Ramirez. Uh, Brucey says Ramirez was petulant, one of those words footballers seem to have learned and start using incessantly uh, when he kicked out at Fertongen, but he claims the referee should have used common sense and blames the Belgian for, quote, rolling around. Allison, you're the qualified ref here, unlike Steve Bruce, I might add. Is he correct? I have huge sympathy for Bruce because there was little going on in the world terms of it being dangerous and Vertonghen did uh, overreact. On the other hand, if you are sat in referee school and they were to show a tape of that incident, they would tell you, you must send the player off for... It's not an in-play action. It's the play's gone and you are... you are And petulant comes into it. It's a relevant word. Referees hate petulance. Yeah, at the same time, Bruce is entitled to his opinion. He's not entitled to his own facts. Fertonga did not go down like he was Polak's. He did not roll around on the floor. He got up straight away. And I'll remind you, David Beckham was sent off in a World Cup quarterfinal for doing roughly the same thing. In fact, doing even less. It looked a little bit dicey for Manchester City and, and uh, Manuel Pellegrini until the much maligned Yaya Toure, he who's supposedly lazy and sluggish and unhappy and sulky, turned on the afterburners, smoked a Swansea defense, and delivered a 2-1 win. Uh, Ducker, I absolutely love this goal, but then I took note that in the paper you said, you're not satisfied. What more does do City need to do? What more does Yaya need to do? Well, I think there was there was definitely improvement uh, against Swansea on Saturday, but uh, I still think there's a long way to go for that team. Collectively and individually, still too many mistakes. Uh, doesn't look like as much communication at times in organisation. They, I think they've gone behind in 8 of 18 games this season and making life hard for themselves in that sense. Uh, I do think as well that Pellegrini needs a plan B. I think he's, plan A has been found out on occasion and uh, there is still work to do that. Rory, last year you told us how good Danny Ings was. He scored two goals as Burnley won away to Stoke, two goals in, in 60 seconds. Of course, then this doubled their uh, seasonal win total. You can either gloat and talk about him, or you can tell us about your uh, trip to see Davy Moyes, who's Real Sociedad side, drew at Deportivo La Coruña. So you can say that Burnley have got two wins this season, or you can say they've got two wins in two. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Um, they're, they're the form team in the Premier League, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Ains is an excellent player. He, he will be signed by Liverpool and disappoint there next season. Uh, David Moyes' Real Sociedad were grindy, a bit scrappy. Um, there's a little bit of talent there to work with. It was a very English affair. He looked very happy, but he's still a bit awkward in a world he does not quite understand yet. And of course, if you want to know more, uh, you can read Rory's excellent account of his trip to Galicia. Chelsea steamroller West Bromwich Albion, but somehow only win 2-0. Alison, I was struck by something weirdly beautiful that Cesc said uh, after the game when he suggested it was the most fun he'd had in a 45-minute half of football. This is not stereotypically Jose Mourinho type Chelsea is it? Mm, in some ways it is though I mean for the first 20 odd minutes it's 72% possession the first 20 minutes it was awesome and people were sort of just sort of beaming in the press box and saying wow this might be the best display we've seen all season from anyone but what was Mourinho-esque about it and, and Mourinho said it was very beautiful it was his favourite 20 minutes as well but then they just decide enough's enough let's not risk it Let's not have too much fun. And then it goes very Mourinho-esque and pragmatic, and they didn't score any more goals. Everton top of West Ham 2-1, and we're all happy for Leon Osman, who scores on his 400th appearance. But James, that was a refereeing horror show, wasn't it? And can you work out how your namesake, James Tompkins, hurts his head after being pushed in the chest? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a full-on uh, horror show, but it was 
pretty bad from Clattenburg. Given the benefit of the doubt, he did at least allow play, uh, play to go on at a good advantage and a bullet to Osman scoring. But Lukaku was offside at the first. McCarthy should have been sent off for a foul on Malfoltano. Morales should have been booked uh, for a foul on Malfoltano and then sent off for shoving the aforementioned James Tonkins. Tonkins, I mean, what can you say? It's that classic, I'm not a man, I'm an airy fairy, con artist sort of syndrome. And nice to see um, uh, the match of the day lot. Um, slaughter him for it. Musa Sissoko saves Alan Pardew's bacon once again. Newcastle have now won five in a row. Only three teams in the Premier League have more points. Uh, Rory, we've taken it in turns to eat humble pie. It's your turn now. Pardew and Ashley are geniuses, right? They lulled everybody into a false sense of security by pretending to be awful and then pretending to hate each other. But in reality, it was all part of a fiendish master plan, wasn't it? No. No, it wasn't. I think it's great for Newcastle as a club that they are in such good form. It's really it's interesting. It's a good story. Everyone likes a good story. They're not as good as they looked. They won't stay fifth. I love the way you said only three teams have more points to make it sound like they're better. That they're higher up the table than they are. They're fifth. To say they're fifth, that's good enough for Newcastle, surely. No one saw it coming. Pardew deserves credit for that. He's still not as good a manager as he thinks he is. Newcastle will be fine this season, that, that is abundantly obvious. Uh, but at some point, all of that stuff behind the scenes will probably come back to haunt them. That's always the risk with Newcastle, sadly. Uh, a question for you, Dab. Tell me, does no, no one's mentioned this anywhere, did Lionel Messi finally break Telmo Zara's all-time record for goals in La Liga? Indeed he did, and as you can read in my excellent column, he scored uh, goals number 251, 252, and 253 in La Liga. It's incredible, he's only 27 years old. What's interesting is it came after a horrible, sort of a really kind of rough moment for him, because... He'd gone uh, three games without scoring in La Liga, which for him is an eternity. There was all this business with his dad and saying, like, well, maybe he won't be at Barcelona forever. And um, he responds uh, with his with his hat trick, huge 5-1 win over Seville. Uh, the two points behind Real Madrid in the table. Don't want to say everything's all well forever, but pretty good. Any other business? I was at Wembley for... England's women against Germany. England's women. capitulation, humiliation. Uh, a friendly international, which which had a lot of build-up because um, it was the most tickets ever sold to watch um, the England women's team. 45,000. Well, 55,000 was sold, but there were there were no tube trains and the weather was atrocious, so some people didn't turn up. And I think they didn't turn up because because if the t- tickets were cheap, so it's sort of easy to say, well, I won't bother going. Cause and because it was live on the BBC as well. They should have a blackout rule, shouldn't they? I think tickets were still being sold when people knew it was live on the BBC. I don't think that was the issue. I was but anyway, I just, I just, if anyone didn't see it, because it was, as you say, the blanket coverage. But um, the way Germany's women defended, I mean, there are certain teams we've spoken about on this podcast today who might want to take a, a leaf out of their book. It was very impressive. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed to, on iTunes and Player FM for Android, please do so immediately. Many, many thanks to my guests today, the excellent James Ducker, Alison Rudd, and Rory K. Smith. Check out thetimes.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. Some of that cricket might come from Headingley, which is in your part of the world, right, Rory? That, that is correct. Fantastic. Uh, if you're not a member yet, take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Time Sport online. Not a hard thing to do. See you same place, same time, next week. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.
Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.